Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Byzantium. Episode 210. What did Urban say? The Council of Piacenza took place in the first week of March, 1095. By holding a church council in the territory of his enemies, Urban hoped to make a statement about his legitimacy and authority. He was already planning a tour through France to reconnect the papacy with his homeland, when Byzantine envoys approached him about military recruitment. So the story goes. The presence of Byzantine ambassadors at Piacenza is actually only mentioned by one source. No one else makes reference to it, and that includes Anna Komnini. This has led some scholars to argue that the entire campaign was Urban's invention. Hopefully we've shown over the last few episodes that it wasn't. The idea had been in papal circles for some time, and the Byzantines were definitely involved, at least indirectly, in shaping the idea. So whether or not a call for help at Piacenza was the specific spark is somewhat irrelevant. If we stick to the facts as we understand them, then we see that five months after the Council of Piacenza, Urban would begin preparations for the Crusade. He would then spend a year in France touring around trying to recruit men for the campaign. He gave specific instructions about who should sign up and when they should depart. And when they arrived in Byzantium, the imperial authorities were expecting them. So this was no spur-of-the-moment idea. It was a thoroughly planned recruitment drive, and Alexius was clearly kept in the loop. Urban's tour of France seems to have been in the works for a while, and the goal was to shore up support for the reform papacy in a key part of Europe. He also wanted to make important pronouncements on church discipline and various other issues, and I think he just wanted to be seen by the wider public. Urban would travel in full regalia with a big entourage of senior clergymen, and for towns and villages unused to such displays, it would make quite an impression. Once the idea of the crusade became part of the itinerary, 
Urban needed to sound out some key people first. He wasn't going to announce the idea of a campaign to Jerusalem and then just wait to see if anyone applauded. As soon as he crossed the Alps, he visited the men he needed on side if this plan was going to succeed. This included Adamar, the Bishop of Le Puy, who Urban sent on campaign as his representative, or legate, and Count Raymond of Toulouse, one of the wealthiest landowners in the south of France, and a man who had already fought voluntarily against the Muslims in Spain. If he agreed to travel to Jerusalem, then others would surely follow his lead. Urban arrived in Provence in July 1095, and he would give his famous sermon preaching the crusade in November at the Council of Clermont in central France. In the meantime, he visited large swathes of the country, sounding out his fellow clergy about the crusading idea and encouraging them to bring their local magnates to the council. After Clermont, he continued to tour the country, preaching the crusade again at Limoges, Le Mans, Tours and Nîmes. It was a punishing schedule. The papal entourage made sure that the pontiff was in key towns for Christmas and Easter, as well as arriving in time to dedicate new churches or preside over special services wherever he went to ensure he was seen by as many people as possible. Urban was already about 60, and yet he managed to crisscross large parts of France, visiting Avignon, Lyon, Macon, Angers, Poitiers, Bordeaux, Carcassonne, Montpellier, and Arles, amongst many other places. He didn't visit much of the north of the country. He'd excommunicated the King of France on the grounds of adultery, and so avoided his patch, while the Normans of Normandy were considered to be unsympathetic to the papal reform movement. But while touring around, Urban still wrote letters to the nobility of that region. The Pope only returned to Italy in September 1096, at which point he'd been gone for 13 months and the crusade was already underway. It's clear from his schedule that Urban had mass recruitment in mind. This was to be a grand campaign with the numbers necessary to besiege cities and absorb casualties on the long road east. So, what did Urban say? What was it that moved men to join this extraordinary quest? The Council of Clermont was a church council, and as such it spent nine days discussing church matters. Twelve archbishops, eighty bishops, and ninety abbots had gathered, along with uh, more minor clergy and many laymen. And as the council reached its conclusion, Urban asked those present to gather in a field outside the city so that he could deliver a special sermon to all present. We have six accounts of what he said, three of which claim to be from eyewitnesses, but crucially none of these was written until after Jerusalem had been captured, which, as we talked about before, casts some doubt on their recollections. We do, however, have some key correspondence written before the Holy City fell, including the decrees of the council itself, and letters between Urban and various people, as well as charters left behind by men heading east. 
Matching these to the accounts of the speech, we get the following summary. Urban asked men to take up arms to protect the eastern churches, i.e. those in Byzantium, which were under imminent threat from the Turks. Then to march on to Jerusalem to liberate the holy places from the Muslims there, who were tormenting and preying on both the local Christians and pilgrims. Anyone who undertook this mission, in good faith, could substitute their journey to Jerusalem for any penance owed, as in they would gain a remission for existing sins. Finally, those taking part must come forward and swear an oath, promising to undertake the journey, and wear a small cross on their clothing to distinguish them as part of the militia of God. As you probably know, this pitch for the crusade, though it was not called that at the time, was very successful. Not only did Urban attract the type of knights he was looking for, but thousands of less desirable volunteers as well. What we're going to do for the rest of this episode is talk about why Urban presented the plan the way he did, and why it appealed so much to the French nobility. In future episodes, we'll talk about those who took him up on the offer and their motivations. So, the first part of his pitch was for men to help save the Eastern Churches, by which he practically meant go and fight with the Emperor against the Turks in Anatolia. We've covered some of Urban's motives already, but to recap, there was genuine altruism and religious solidarity at the heart of this plan, the loss of Anatolia was causing distress to eastern churchmen, and regardless of the actual behaviour of the Turks, the loss of Christian land to a Muslim power sounded like bad news. Urban would gain personal prestige by aiding Constantinople, though we shouldn't separate that from his concern for the reforming party or the office of pontiff itself, both of which would benefit from a successful campaign to aid their eastern brothers. And certainly some reformers may also have felt that Byzantine clergy would need to pipe down about the filioque and other liturgical disputes if Latin knights bailed them out. Finally, of course, it was militarily necessary for the crusade to pass through Byzantium to get to Jerusalem. Sailing directly was far too risky and expensive. This way, Alexius would have to bear the burden of feeding and equipping the crusade for most of their trek. And it was assumed that the Byzantines would be sending their own armed forces alongside the crusaders for much of the journey. The second note of the sermon was to present Jerusalem as the final destination. This had been obvious to everyone pitching an eastern campaign for decades, Pilgrimage to the Holy Land was a fixture in the life of Western nobles, and they were far more likely to fight, knowing that the Holy Sepulchre was their final destination, rather than the Hagia Sophia. But Urban had to create a sense of urgency, otherwise, why now? Hence the demonising of Muslims for all the supposed abuses that were taking place in Palestine. He called on Latin knights to avenge their downtrodden Christian cousins, which might sound like standard war propaganda, but several historians believe that Urban calibrated this carefully to the way of life of the Western nobility. 
As we've mentioned before, much of the French ruling class were locked into endless conflict with one another. Disputes over lands and rights were an everyday occurrence, and without a centralized state, rich men who went to war had to bully their local peasantry into providing the necessary materials, as well as forcing their warrior class into bonds of obligation in order to get them to fight. This meant that vendettas and blood feuds were common, encouraging knights to conjure up the rage needed to slaughter their fellow countrymen at a moment's notice. The pontiff was triggering this destructive mindset, but directing it towards a non-Christian target, giving men whose occupation was violence a justifiable target to assault. Urban seems to have genuinely viewed this as a good in itself. He was bringing peace to his homeland by instructing its young men to stop fighting one another and to work for the church instead. Third, then, was the offer of penance, and this was the key feature of the crusade, since we know that a remission of sins had been missing from Gregory's pitch for a similar campaign twenty years earlier. The Latin church taught that sin was everywhere, and almost unavoidable. Temptation lay at every turn, and if sins rested on your soul, then when you died you would go to hell. Churches across the land carried terrifying images of sinners being tortured by demons in the afterlife, contrasted with images of peaceful souls enjoying a pain-free paradise. Monasticism, a withdrawal from the world of sin, was one way to protect your soul, the other was penance. People confessed their sins to a priest who would assign them tasks to perform to work them off, this might involve saying prayers or giving alms. Those with money might be asked to donate to a religious house. And for those who had really transgressed, there was always the option of a purgative devotional journey or a pilgrimage. Pilgrimages to local or regional shrines was a common penance. And for those of means, the ultimate journey was east to Jerusalem. It was understood that the expense, the discomfort, and the very real danger of this round trip was grueling enough to purge the soul of accumulated sin. By turning this military campaign into a kind of armed pilgrimage, Urban had hit the jackpot. The papacy had been trying to entice secular warriors to fight for them for a long time now. Earlier I mentioned that Raymond of Toulouse had gone to fight the Muslims in Spain. This was another arena, in addition to Italy and Sicily, where the papacy had begun to offer spiritual incentives to those willing to liberate churches from Muslim control. But none of those campaigns had received mass enthusiastic support. Western knights clearly doubted that such fighting was really going to earn them a remission of sin. But a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, undertaken to free Christians from slavery, now that was more like it. And again, I don't mean to be flippant. Urban was trying to solve serious religious problems, as well as serving his political agenda. I don't think I can improve on the following paragraph from historian Thomas Asbridge. Having grown up among the Frankish aristocracy, the Pope was only too aware of the spiritual dilemma facing this knightly class. 
bombarded by a stream of warnings about the dreadful danger of sin, but forced to resort to soul-contaminating violence in order to fulfill their duty and defend their rights, most nobles were trapped in a circle of guilt, obligation, and necessity. As the father of the Latin church, Urban was personally responsible for the soul of every single Christian living in the West. It was incumbent upon him to lift as many of his flock as possible towards salvation. The campaign launched at Clermont was therefore designed to answer the prayers of a polluted class. It offered the nobility a new path to redemption. Knights would now be able to prosecute violence in the name of God, participating in a holy war. The key was linking their warfare with pilgrimage. And Asbridge later adds, Urban performed a relatively simple feat. He repackaged the concept of sanctified violence in a devotional format that was more comprehensible and palatable to lay society. Earlier popes may have argued that holy war could purify the soul, but Latin arms-bearers seem to have harboured nagging doubts about the efficacy of this notion. Urban sold the idea in terms that were familiar, convincing, and attractive. As I mentioned in passing a few episodes ago, Urban was clear that those who took part would be able to work off all existing penance by reaching Jerusalem. He did not say that all sins would be cleared, nor that those who died were martyrs, nor that God had called for the crusade. This was a papal-directed campaign to work off sins you had already confessed to your local priest, hence the last parts of the speech. That those who wanted to join must swear an oath and wear the sign of the cross. These were the traditional public symbols of a pilgrimage, the oath was designed to prevent a penant man from abandoning his journey, and the cross to indicate the special status of a pilgrim, which entitled him or her to protection, but also judgment from churchmen along the route. Pilgrims were expected to behave well, and if they didn't, local clergy had authorization to bring them to justice. In this case, it was vital that those volunteering did not back out, and that Adamar and the other clergy present could maintain some control over their behaviour. When Urban finished his speech at Clermont, Adamar immediately stepped forward to commit himself to the cause. Others did too, but as far as we can tell, there was no swell of excitement that day. Few laymen were actually in attendance, even Count Robert was absent, and several bishops who made records of the council didn't bother to mention the sermon or Jerusalem at all. But that didn't matter. The next day, agents of Count Robert arrived to announce his intention to take the oath. And as you know, the Pope would continue to tour France for another six months, preaching the crusade. News would spread rapidly, and as each new notable signed up, a ripple of interest would spread through his domains, exciting the imagination of Christians of all ages. As Urban continued his travels, he also dashed off letters to the leading men of Europe discussing the Crusade, several of which survive. Through them and other documents, we begin to see his concern that the right sort of person sign up. 
By this he meant several things. He wanted military men, not regular pilgrims, and he didn't want monks to go either. He had to tell several to stay at home and keep fighting the equally vital spiritual battle. He also had to dissuade Spanish knights from taking the oath. As I mentioned earlier, another campaign the popes had encouraged Latin knights to undertake was to help the Christians of Spain in their slow counter-attack against Muslim forces across the Iberian Peninsula. But such was the lure of Jerusalem that many Spanish knights were considering leaving their posts. Urban's crusade was designed to be a proper military campaign, not a pell-mell dash to the east. As with all good military endeavours, logistics were therefore high on the agenda. So Urban set a start date for when the crusaders should begin their march, the 15th of August, 1096. This was the Feast of the Assumption, allowing the pilgrims to be waved off with due religious ceremony, but it was also chosen so that their journey would coincide with the Byzantine harvest, as well as giving Alexius a good nine months to prepare for their arrival. So, that was what Urban said. The response to his appeal was electric. His pitch had been designed to excite the enthusiasm of French knights, and that it did. But Urban couldn't control the message once it was out in public. The idea that a great pilgrimage was underway, and that those who joined would be cleansed of their sins, sounded too good to be true. Men, women, children, rich and poor alike, good people and bad ones, all clamoured to take part. Next time, we'll look at the response to Urban's preaching, begin to identify the key figures involved, and consider the motives of those who eagerly took the cross. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 